And Elijah said to the people, Why do you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then serve him. But if the Baals are God, then serve them. But make up your mind. And 1 Kings 18 records a very sad line. The people answered him, not a word. And so Elijah said, this is what we're going to do. You hundreds of prophets of the Baals, you set up your altar, present your offering, but put no fire under it. I'll do the same. And the God who answers by fire, let him be God. And so all day long, from morning until night, they set up their altar. They prepared the offering. They sang and danced and they shouted. They cut themselves with stones and they bled their blood into the earth. But still no fire from heaven. And so about the time of the third offering, Elijah, the prophet of God, he took 12 stones and he rebuilt the altar. He placed wood on it, he prepared the offering and laid it on top of the wood. Then he called for a great amount of water to be poured upon the offering. And a second time and a third time until the water soaked the offering, the wood, the stones and filled a great ditch that surrounded the altar of the Lord. And then he lifted up his hands toward heaven. And he said these words, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you alone are God in all the land. And fire fell from heaven. And it consumed the offering and it consumed the wood and the stones and it licked up the great amount of water that had filled the ditch. And the people fell on their faces and they declared, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Stand with me tonight and let's declare it together. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God.
I have uh, um, want to share some things with you, and um, I'm excited to share these things with you. The Lord has been talking to me um, a lot here lately, but he got me up this morning at a little bit before five, and um, I, I was really tired because we've been through so many things over the last few days, and I just wanted a little rest. But when the Lord wants to talk to you, there's no rest in the bed. <laughs> and so I laid there for a few minutes trying to go back to sleep. And, and then all of a sudden I realized, I said, oh, my goodness, Lord, you're wanting to talk to me. And, um, and so I got up and went to study. And the Lord has begun to show me some things that I want to share with you about this journey that we're on and I, with Kylie Grace. And, uh, and I want to thank you, each and every one, for praying with us and joining in these places. And that's why I feel like it's so important that the Lord wants to share these things with you today as well, that we can walk united in this place. So, um, yesterday, Rebecca felt like she was supposed to send me that song. And... Um, so I listened to it. I love it. We all love it and, and everything. And, but it just kind of had a real powerful place yesterday, and I could feel that it had power in it. But I wasn't sure exactly what it was. But I began to ask the Lord. I said, Lord, I want to walk right there where Elijah was walking in confidence and in power against the enemy. And he began to help me to understand some things in this place. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Kings, <clears throat> it's on page 412 and 413 uh, is where we'll kind of be. I think that's where I was. Let me see. Yes. Mm -hmm. First uh, Kings chapter 18. And um, there was a couple of things. I won't go through the whole story because Paul Wilbur just did a great job of reminding me what, or reminding us what was going on here. But I want to share with you a couple of things that the Lord showed me. First of all, you know, Elijah came and he said to the prophets of Baal, 
to the enemy. He said, do your best work. Put out all your wood here, lay out your sacrifice, get it all together, and let's see what your God will do. And uh, the Lord showed me that. And I thought, yes, I want to walk in this place Elijah walks. And he says, well, you're backing up when I'm doing this. And I thought, yeah, I see that. What I want is for everything to begin to fall in place, glorifying the Lord. But there's this place where he allowed the prophets of the enemy to give their best shot. And so I see that, that the enemy is bringing destruction around every corner. Do you see that? Around every corner. And I said, Lord, I am in this to fight with you. I just don't know how to be strong and where we are. I don't know what to do. I feel lost right here. And he said, here's the key. And he showed me all the way down in verse 36. And it says, and so it, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that you have done all these things at your word. At your word. He said, you see, Elijah didn't just decide, I'm irritated about the way the prophets of Baal are doing things, but rather he came against the enemy at the word of God. He said, that's when you have power and you have authority. And I thought, I know this. And he said, what you haven't realized is the strength that I've been giving you. I've been giving you the word. The word to walk in in power. The word to walk in in authority. The word that calls down these places and joins in the heavenlies with what's going on. Because I've been feeling, and maybe you have as well in some circumstances, that the enemy is fighting in the heavenlies and the, the armies of God are fighting there. And I am thankful for that. But I've almost felt helpless here. Has anybody ever felt that way before? That you almost feel like I don't know what to do here. Thank you that this is going on in the heavenlies. But where are we supposed to be? We're trying to walk in faith, trying to read in your word, trying to. And that's when he said, you've got to see, you've got to have a word. A word of direction of where you're supposed to be as you come against this enemy. And so he took me back to a dream that he gave me back on September the 18th. And so I want to share this dream with you, and I saw some of it then, but I see so much more of it today. And um, 
the Lord talks to me so many times in dreams, and I knew he was talking to me, and I saw a smidgen of it, but I didn't see the fullness. I saw it over what I thought God was giving me, this dream, over a specific part of this battle. I didn't realize he was giving me this dream over the entire battle. And that this would be the word he wanted me to boldly see and to hang on to. So I dreamed that Roger and I were at a restaurant and that we were eating at this little table and next to me was a chair and I had put my purse in it. And two men were coming by and I knew they weren't good men as they just began to pass us. But as they started past, one guy reached over and grabbed the key fob, is that what you call it, <laughs> to my car. And when he grabbed that, then they started hurrying out of the restaurant. And I said to Roger, I said, oh, my goodness, they're going to steal my car. And so they took the key fob and they went out. And sure enough, there was my red car sitting right there. And they got into the driver's side and the passenger side and they were fixing to steal the car and we were coming out watching all this feeling very helpless in the situation do you see that so then I realized um, as we walked on closer to the car there were two men standing at the back seats um, doors at the back doors of the car and these two bad guys are in the front but there was two guys back here and Roger and I didn't know quite who they were but we walked up and when we walked up this one looked up at me and he kind of winked at me like you know everything I've got this or something he just kind of this I got this place and he winked at me and then he pulled out his badge and he showed me that he was with the FBI and I thought well that's good you know, you've got authority in this place, and he's right here. And uh, But it was so bizarre. Now, you have to remember, dreams are always bizarre, right? So it gets a little more bizarre. So I, I realized that they, these two guys, this one guy that is closest to me, he has this metal pipe, and... Uh, I don't know, I wish I could explain to you because it was not a little flimsy. It was one of those really strong metal pipes. I remember my dad used to have them for things and I don't even know what in the world he used them for, but he, had them. he always had a good pipe. And uh, is that right, Raul? You got to have a good pipe around. <laughs> yeah. And so he had a good, this big pipe thing and he was nailing it down in the floorboard of the back behind the driver's seat of my car. And I thought, that is so bizarre. But he's nailing this pipe, he's hitting it with this big hammer and that pipe's going in, I can just see it going in. And, uh, and then as he gets it in, he, he even took a saw and cut off the top so that it was not too high. And none of that makes sense in our world. But all of a sudden, I saw what he was doing, that the car could try to leave. It wouldn't be able to go. He had put something stationary there that no matter how these people tried to leave with this vehicle, 
it could not go anywhere. It was nailed down. It was solid. It could not leave. And then he turned to me and he said, he said, we're going to need to take this car in for evidence. And I thought, okay, you know, because now he's got these two guys. They can't really get away. And now he's going to have the car as evidence against them of what they're trying to steal. And uh, I said, okay, yes, you can have my car. And he said, well, we're going to send a helicopter. is coming over in just a second. And this helicopter began to come into view, and I could see this helicopter. And he said, he's going to drop a big bag. We're going to put your car in it and then take it away for evidence. And so sure enough, the helicopter comes hovering over and drops this bag that will hold the evidence against the enemy. And then he turned to me and he said, but you're going to need a car because these kind of cases take about two years to actually come to the courts and get worked out. I said, okay. He said, so I want you to have, we want you to have a new car and it's going to be this yellow Cadillac and you'll be able to drive it until this, uh, in, in, uh, through this time, through this difficult time. And I said, okay, and then I woke up. And I wrote it all down, and I thought, wow, <laughs> what was all of that? But I saw so clearly, and I saw so much more clearly, even this morning, what the Lord was trying to show me was this word, that the enemy is trying to steal what the Lord is doing. And my car, my vehicle has always represented my journey with the Lord in what he is doing. And that is what my vehicle represents. And the enemy is coming in and trying to steal what the enemy, what God is doing. But God does have in place, in the heavenlies, a place to put down a foundational hold on what he would allow the enemy to even do. He won't let him do this. And I could see that. I saw the helicopter is the Holy Spirit and he's hovering over the situation. He knows exactly what's going on and he wasn't late. He was right there on time and he was hovering over and he was provided what was needed to encapsulate what the enemy is doing, to hold it as evidence against the enemy. And then the Lord asked me to look up this word yellow for this Cadillac, I thought, yes, a Cadillac, that's a, you know, a, a big car. And it was, I just could see it was a nice car and a really great car. And uh, it's a new car. And so I see this is a new place that God is asking me to walk. And a new place that he is doing in Ricky and Amanda's life and in Kylie's life. And it's a new journey. But yellow 
when I looked it up, means gift, God's gift. God's gift. God's gift. This new journey with what he is doing is his gift. But what I wanted was for God to cause everything to be right in the very early parts of this battle. But he's allowed the enemy to come in. He's even allowed them to take the key. But he's not allowing them to leave with it. They cannot steal God's authority. They cannot steal what he's done. They cannot steal his miracle. And they cannot steal the purpose that he has in this place. And he won't allow it. So I asked him and I said, Lord, I see these places. And he said, now, now you have something to boldly go with. Now you can go in and say, you may not have this, get out. Now you can come in strength. I have been wanting these words. I didn't know where they were. But they're here. And he's given them. He also gave me a couple of other things I, I was reminded of this morning and, and had them written down. One of them is he told me clearly, and you may have heard this pass through the chains of, of our prayer requests, is that he said the physical has not caught up with the spiritual. And I see that in this dream, that there was a place where the physical was going on and it's happening and he's allowing it to happen. But, but he's got it all under his authority and control and he is going to provide a way, a journey, a way out of this situation, another vehicle, another avenue. So the physical is catching up with the spiritual. The other thing he told me very clearly is that the healing would happen in the seventh month of God's calendar, Tishri. So I see that when we came to this place, and last Sunday when it seemed like the baby was going to be born on, on what would be before Tishri 1, it was alarming because I thought this is not supposed to happen before we start Feast of Trumpets. But God didn't allow that. It all came in his timing. So when that came and her delivery came, I wanted everything to be done. <laughs> everything. But he didn't do it that way. He's still working out some of these places. But he did hold true to the things he had shown us about the heart. So the baby was born. They did not have to give her the medications to bring the heart into rhythm. They had them there available. Ricky said there were about 30 people from Cook's standing by for whatever was needed for this baby. That they were ready to do open heart surgery. They were ready to do a CAT scan if it was needed. They were ready to give her the medication. They were ready for all the procedures necessary for this heart to continue to work. But they needed none of it. I loved when the doctor said across 
from Ricky, and I was allowed to be in the room. And she said, I want you to hear, we were ready in all these places, but we needed none of it. And he went on, or she went on to say to Ricky, she said, you have to hear me. You have to walk by faith and not by sight. And the same doctor you've been praying to, you continue to pray to. And I see the breadcrumbs that he's given along these ways to say, I'm still here. I'm still in it. I'm still doing. We have to join up with where he is. And I feel like he's allowing you to know this as well as me, that we can come in authority as we pray, that the enemy may not have this testimony. One thing that I want to share with you, the last little bit of this dream is he said it would take two years. And I said, Lord, what is this two years? And he said, you know what two is. Two is witness. Two is witness. It means that there will be a testimony. There will be a witness that comes out of this place. The enemy cannot have that testimony. And we can stand boldly and declare that he is God. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this word this morning. I thank you for this place of freedom, Father. Father, Out of the bondage of the enemy has been holding over... um, This situation, as I've tried to walk in your authority and walk with you, Father, I have felt um, beaten down and and under the enemy's thumb. And, And so, Father, I see that what I was lacking was to see the word that you had given that brings freedom, that brings authority, that brings truth, that brings power because of your great name. And so, Lord, we thank you for this place this morning, that you would awaken me, that you would help me to see that you had given it, and you had even given it several weeks ago. I just didn't understand the fullness, but God, you are so good. You did not leave me there. You let me see what the enemy was doing, And you let me see that you have already put a stake in that place and he cannot drive off with this testimony. So Lord, we come on your authority and we join with you in this place. And we say, you, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are God. You will hold all authority here. You will overcome the enemy. You will stop this enemy from taking off with this testimony. And you will give a new vehicle to this family and to our understanding of who you are. Lord, we thank you that this is a gift from you. And we will cherish that gift. But Lord, we will stand boldly in confidence against the enemy. Lord, not because of who we are. Because because of your great name, 
not because of us, Lord, but because of you, because of your mercy and because of your truth. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, please.
worship you our King Let's sing that again
Well, good morning. Um, we've already heard a word to this morning. So um, I'm so grateful that what I am not doing is, is bringing another word, but sharing some things the Lord has given me that are consistent with what the Lord has already spoken through Deborah. And so if you would turn with me to 1 Kings 18 and the church's Bible on page 413. 1 Kings 18. Exactly where Deborah had us turn to the story of Elijah. Three things that Deborah shared with us as she brought this verse that I want to reaffirm as the message that the Lord has for us today. So let's read together in, in 1 Kings 18, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, The Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God and all Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. So three things that I want to say here. First, it says that Elijah came near. This doesn't mean that um, Elijah came to a place of gravel where there was a stone, that he saw a place that he wanted to walk to. This means that Elijah came near the Lord. It says that he came to align with the Lord's word, he says at the end of this verse, your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. And then Deborah told us, she said, we have to join up with where he is. This is the word that I have for us today. Last week we began to talk about the fall feasts about the feast that the Lord has yet to fulfill. And we talked about the Feast of Trumpets as a warning, a, a siren, an alarm for God's people to be awakened for the Lord's return. In the Spring Feast, Jesus fulfilled these places. He fulfilled the Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits. These feasts represent the Lord's deliverance for his people from slavery and bondage. And as we anticipate the Lord's second coming, that is what we study in these spring feasts. So today we're going to study about the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So turn with me to Leviticus 23, page 139. Leviticus 23, page 139. Leviticus 23 is really the feast chapter, for it outlines for Israel all seven of the Lord's appointed times and what is expected of God's people on these days. So let's read together in verses 27, excuse me, 26 through 28. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the 10th day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Now turn back with me to Leviticus chapter 16 on page 131. Leviticus 16, page 131. So we've just read what the Lord what the Lord calls us to on this feast day. In Leviticus 16, it is a very lengthy chapter that includes lots of details of what the Lord calls the priesthood to on this day as day of atonement is celebrated. I want to read a first few verses and then we'll kind of we'll kind of summarize what is said in all of these details. In verse 1 it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, After the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died, the Lord said to Moses, Tell tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall... Come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and as a ram offering and as a burnt offering. In fact, let's read this chapter. It is so important. Verse 4, he shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself and to make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the goats one for the Lord and one for the other lot of the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement on it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and to make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from afar between the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring them inside the veil. Then he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat and on the east side and before the seat, the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering for it is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place 
because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do it for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement for the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord to make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it, it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it the iniquities of the children of Israel and their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and he shall send it away until the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on it all the iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place. He shall leave them there. He shall wash his body with, with water in a holy place, put on the garments and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar, and he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat offering for the sin offering, whose blood brought in to make atonement for the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn the fire of their skins, their flesh, and their offal. Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. This is a statute forever for you in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. You shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you that you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is a anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement put on the linen clothes the holy garments then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar and he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year and he did as the Lord commanded Moses. This is a lot. And there are a lot of, of details here. A lot of descriptions. A lot of bathing and a lot of atoning. A lot of sacrificing. And all of these things have a perfect order that God has commanded to be just so that Israel may be cleansed from their sin for the year. So the Day of Atonement was the most solemn day of the entire year, and it was certainly the most important. 
It was the one day of the year that the high priest was able to go not just into the tabernacle and the outer courts, into the holy place and into the most holy of holy places where the Lord's spirit, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so on this day, he would make sacrifice for himself and for the nation. And the Lord has commanded him to put this put the sins, the iniquities, the rebellion of Israel onto this live goat to make atonement for their sins. On this day, the the high priest would wear white garments, not his normal gold priestly garb that was well adorned, but garments that signified humility, and purity. He was taking off his outward splendor and putting on purity for forgiveness of Israel. I love each year as we come to celebrate the Lord's feast, the Lord gives fresh understanding and fresh meaning. And there is a whole lot here that we could, we could look at and unpack and that has great meaning. But where the Lord has us today is to see the difference between salvation and holiness. These are words that are used in the church and are just kind of assumed as a part of God's people. The Lord has been teaching me how easy it is for us to rest in our salvation and assume our own holiness. The Hebrews were saved and delivered from bondage in Egypt during the Passover event that we study about each spring. Their salvation from the enemy was secure. The reason they were delivered and they were saved was for God's holiness. Moses tells Pharaoh that they are, that Pharaoh is to let the Hebrews go so that they may go and worship the Lord their God in the wilderness. So they are to go and to be made holy. That's what the Israelites were called to in the fall feast, holiness. And so it is with us today that we have been saved through the blood of Jesus. We have been delivered from certain death and from sin, but we are called to be holy as he is holy, to continue to be sanctified from sin, to grow deeper and more set apart from the world. For many in the church today, the day of atonement is just a little too Old Testament, isn't it? Sacrifices and special clothing, fasting and repentance, goats and guilt and blood. It's pretty intense, isn't it? That is the missed point in the Day of Atonement is that God's holiness is intense. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10. Back just a few pages, Leviticus 10 on page 121.
we'll read verses, just verse 3 for now. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all people, I must be glorified. This is the title of our message today and the understanding that we are to glean. God must be regarded as holy. The Bible is filled with this command for God's people to be holy because he is holy. Let's read just a few of these that are right here in Leviticus. Turn over to Leviticus 11, page 123. Leviticus 11, page 123. We'll read the first part of verse 44. The Lord says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Then read in verse 45 with me. For I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Turn to Leviticus 19 on page 134. Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, verse 2, well, we'll read verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Turn now to chapter 20 of Leviticus. We'll read in verse 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Then in verse 26 of chapter 20. And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples. You shall be mine. And finally, in chapter 21, verse 8, command to the priests, Therefore, you shall consecrate him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. God has called his priests and his people, all the congregation of Israel, to be holy. Again and again and again, throughout his word, God gives this commandment to us to be holy because he said so, because he himself is holy. Paul tells us in Romans that there is no partiality with God, meaning that there is not one of us that is exempt from God's holiness. Not one of us is above or distinct from who God is. From the first observance of the Day of Atonement, it was a solemn reminder of this fact that no one is outside God's authority. No one is above the holiness of God. So amidst all that we have just read, amidst all of the, the descriptions about this day of atonement and what we as the people of God and what the priests of God were called to, and amongst these commandments to be holy, there is a backstory. There is a story that is going on that influences what we read. Aaron was the brother of Moses. 
Aaron was the man that was called to be the mouthpiece of Moses before Pharaoh and before others. Aaron was called to be the very first priest and in fact was the first high priest. And Aaron's four sons were called to be priests along with Aaron. Aaron's oldest sons were Nadab and Abihu. And it's them that we'll study about this morning. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 6 on page 66. Exodus chapter 6, page 66. We'll read just verse 23. It says, Aaron took to himself Elisheba, daughter of Aminabab, sister of Nashon as wife, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Now I read this verse because this describes Aaron, the one we talked about who's Moses' brother, and that he has four children. And this happens in the days of the Exodus. So from the very beginning of what God was doing in leading the people of Israel out of bondage are Aaron's sons. Turn now to Exodus 24, page 88. Exodus chapter 24, page 88. We'll read in Exodus 24, we'll read verse 1, and then we'll begin reading in verse 9. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Now let's read in verse 9 through 12. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it, was, as it were a paved work of sapphire stone, it was like the clarity of the heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you the tablets of stone, the law and commandments, which I have written that you may teach them. So here in chapter 24, Israel is affirming the covenant with the Lord. And Moses is receiving the tablets with the Lord's commandments on them. Now, although Moses alone was allowed special access to go to the Lord and receive these tablets, there were a few that were allowed on the mountain with him. Aaron and two of his sons, Nadab and Abihu and 70 other elders. This is important. Now turn to Exodus chapter 28 over just a few pages, page 92. We'll read together just verse 1 of Exodus 28. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. So Aaron and his sons, to include the two that we're, we're talking about, Nadab and Abihu, 
were called as the Lord's priest to Israel. I want us to see that these two men, Nadab and Abihu, were men who witnessed and experienced God's word and his presence second only to Moses and Aaron. Do you all see this? These men were from the beginning called to serve the Lord as priests. These men were at the mountain when God was speaking to Moses and gave him the commandments. These men were set apart for God's service as priests, not just to Israel, but it says to me, to the Lord. These were men who had an advanced copy of God's word. They were on the mountain and beheld the Lord's presence, and finally they were called apart for his service. Now turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10, page 121. Leviticus chapter 10, page 121. After the Exodus, after the Lord delivers Israel from bondage in Egypt, we read in the book of Leviticus all of the Lord's design for the priestly service. His design for sacrifices and for offerings, for understanding his holiness and his ways. In chapter 8, we won't read there, but Aaron and his sons are consecrated as priests and they were instructed to wait outside the tabernacle for seven days. In chapter 9, on the eighth day, Aaron and his sons begin the priestly service and Aaron will offer the first sacrifice for all of Israel. We'll read in verses 23 and 24 of chapter 9 together. As Moses and Aaron will go into the tabernacle after Aaron has made sacrifice. Let's read in, in, in 23 and 24 of chapter 9. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all of the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So this is an amazing picture of what God's plan was from the beginning. He called Moses and he said, you are going to deliver my people from slavery, from bondage in Egypt, right? And this happens. The Lord gave a word and it happened. And then he tells Moses and Aaron, now this is not enough. I'm going to instruct Aaron on how to lead my people into holiness, into righteousness, not just to be saved, but to be set apart for my purpose. He calls Aaron, he calls his sons, he sets them apart and consecrates them as priests. The tabernacle has been constructed, and now it's, it's opening day, so to speak. The people are gathered around. And Aaron offers the first sacrifice and offerings just as the Lord has commanded. He and Moses come out of the tabernacle and they bless the Lord. And the Lord's spirit was poured out on all of Israel and they fell on their face before the Lord. It is an awesome day. Then what comes next is very bizarre. Let's read together verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. 
Then Nadab and Abihu. Now we remember them, right? Nadab and Abihu, these are the sons of Aaron. These were men who were born to Aaron amidst the Exodus, men whom God has called to his priestly service to be set apart. Verse 1, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So went out from the Lord, so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Wow. There are a myriad of explanations that Bible scholars offer for what is going on here. Right, we, we just read about this great order and this great fulfillment of Scripture with Moses and with Aaron. And then Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, just kind of do their own thing, don't they? Scholars offer a variety of explanations that I think the Lord has given me some understanding over, but it came to its fulfillment as Deborah was speaking this morning. For the Lord had given a word to Moses and Aaron of exactly what things were to be like. And Nadab and Abihu, they went their own way. They offered fire that was profane before the Lord, which was not what he had commanded. The Lord had given a word and they went their own way. This word here in verse 1, profane, in our translations, other translations say unauthorized, wrong, or strange. The word in Hebrew here means to be a stranger, to be an alien, to be a foreigner. I believe what the Lord is saying here is that Nadab and Abihu wanted to worship God their way, apart from what the Lord had shown Moses and Aaron. They presumed a level of comfortability, of stature, and they made the service and worship to God common. I believe it was their pride and their arrogance that provoked them to worship God according to their own desires, according to their own word. And in doing this, they were made strangers to God, and any actions would be unauthorized, wrong, or strange to his holiness. In verse 2, we read God's response to this. Fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. They themselves became the sacrifice. And they died before the Lord. God's punishment for Nadab and Abihu was immediate. There was no excuse for their profanity and worship of God. And so he destroyed them with fire. Let's read verse 3. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. I imagine that that, that Moses essentially nudged Aaron when this happened. They're standing right there together, I see. They're, they're standing there and they see this happen and Aaron sees his sons consumed with the fire of the Lord. And I see Moses nudging Aaron to say, 
this is what God meant about his holiness. We knew this could happen. This verse is prescriptive, meaning it was a warning beforehand to Moses and Aaron and the priest and those of God that all who come near the Lord should understand who they are dealing with. It's also descriptive because it's an explanation after the fact of how severely God holds us accountable for his holiness and for his word. He must be regarded as holy. This means that God will show his holiness and that his servants must honor him in a way that is fitting only for him. And, it, and he says that he will be glorified among all people. This reminds us that God will guard and proclaim his glory and his servants should in turn be concerned only about his glory and not their own. Now let's read verses 4 through 7 together. So Moses called Mishael and Eliphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brother from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron, and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out of the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So Moses has some relatives remove the bodies, which is customary, but not those who were of the priestly line or consecrated, for those could not touch death. He tells Aaron not to mourn. This was probably the hardest day of Aaron's life, right? He has stood there and he has watched his two sons killed in front of his eyes because of the judgment of God. But to mourn this, even in the slightest, would be to communicate that God was wrong in bringing judgment for his holiness. This error of Nadab and Abihu was not forgotten or downplayed. In the census and genealogy in Numbers 26, when Nadab and Abihu are mentioned as sons of Aaron, it says that their sin had consequences and that they died. There in counting the people of Israel, we read a warning that sin has consequences. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 16, over just a few pages on page 130. In chapter 16, where we read about the Day of Atonement, the Lord's explanation of this day begins with a reminder and a warning to Aaron. 
It says in verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, and they offered, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. So here when the Lord is giving the instructions for the Day of Atonement, he begins it with a reminder on this one day of the year when Aaron would go into the holy place that it should only be on this day. And he reminds Aaron of the death of his sons because they did not do things the Lord's way. One more place we want to look at. Turn back to Leviticus chapter 10. Page 121. As we began and we talked about the scripture that Deborah read in 1 Kings with Elijah coming near the Lord. This is a phrase with great significance. Here in Leviticus 10 in verse 3, we've read it multiple times now, says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. By those who come near me. Turn back to Exodus chapter 3 on page 62. Exodus chapter 3, page 62. In Exodus chapter 3, you remember that this is when Moses saw the burning bush. And as Moses came near it, the Lord talks to him and he says in verse 5, this is God speaking, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Here Moses is told not to draw near the Lord. He is told to take off his shoes because he is on holy ground. God is not saying, stop Moses, this is holy ground, take off your shoes and then step towards me. He says, stop where you are. This is holy ground. It's so holy that you even need to take off your feet, but don't come a step further. The point here is that Moses was unholy and unconsecrated. He could not come any closer, any nearer to the Lord at this time. Turn over to Exodus chapter 19, page 83. Exodus chapter 19, page 83. See, from this day on, from this day on from Moses, this phrase of drawing near was a priestly phrase. It referred to those who would draw near to the Lord for his purpose. We'll read in Exodus 19 verse 22. This is God speaking. 
speaking to Moses, and he says, Also, let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. The Lord in his mercy is warning all of Israel that they cannot come before him without being consecrated and set apart. Because why? The Lord is to be regarded as holy. We praise the Lord that he has fulfilled the spring feast. That he came in the form of Jesus. That he was our Passover lamb. That he was unleavened bread. That he was crucified and buried and raised and that he is our first fruits. That all who draw near, right? It's why Jesus says, come to me all who are weary. Even in our sin, Jesus calls to us and says, come to me. But if we come to him, we must be made holy. Jesus is now our high priest. And as believers, we have been called to be a nation of priests for his purpose. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, page 1391. 1 Peter chapter 1, page 1391. First Peter 1, we'll read verses 13 through 19. Peter says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout your time of your stay here in fear. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Turn over now to, to 2 Peter, over just a few pages. No, I'm sorry, not 2 Peter. Still in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll read verse 5 first and then verse 9. In verse 5, Paul, uh, Peter says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Down in verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the phrases, the praises, excuse me, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter makes it clear to us that Jesus' coming has not diminished our call to be holy. It has filled it up.
for many, this place is incredibly difficult. They don't want to draw near to God. They want to avoid drawing near to God. They want to to have this, this ideal of a relationship with the King of Kings and the Most High God, but they want to keep their distance. Either because they want to remain like Adab and Abihu, worshiping and understanding God their own way, or because they don't want to be consecrated and made holy for his purpose. We do not get to choose how we are to worship or what level of commitment that we have before God. We can either be strangers or we can come near. For those of us, though, who draw near to the Lord, he must be regarded as holy. Amen. the sound of worship coming from the throne. There are cries of adoration as men from every nation lift their voice to make his glory. Sing with me.
can you